You have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we will be in verses 16 through 21 this morning. Continue on part five of Marks of the Christian, and we will finish up this uh, sermon series today, and we will move on. Uh, we will not have a part six, and all God's people said? I know, you don't know what to say to that. Okay, so Marks of the Believer, and this morning we want to look at uh, this central theme of harmony in the life of believers and in the relationships that we carry. Now, if you look at the first sentence of what we're going to read this morning, live in harmony with one another, uh, would anybody say, yes, please, Lord, that would be fantastic, right? Amongst people that I know, amongst coworkers, amongst my household, amongst uh, the relationships that I carry, Lord, please, would everything, could everybody just get along, right? You ever said that? Could we just all just get along in this house? Hey, at work, could we, just all, could we just all get along here? Can we have five minutes of peace in this house? You've never said that? I'm sure of it. But here we have live in harmony with one another and then an unpacking in a sense of what it means with all the other things that we've talked about of what it means for us to wear the marks of being a believer and living in harmony with one another, both believers, unbelievers, those who would seek to do us harm, and those who would be against us. So let's read this full text, Romans 12, 16 through 21, and then ask the Lord's great leadership and guidance as we leave this place. Lord, or excuse me, let's read it first, and then we'll pray. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals onto his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask your leadership and your guidance on this text in our lives this morning. These are not easy passages by any stretch of the imagination, but they've what, they are what you've called us to as believers in this world. We can recognize, Lord, when we are living these things out, that our hearts have truly been changed and marked by the gospel. So teach us, not just more information that could prove valuable to give to other people, but information that would change us so that others can see our example and be pointed to you. So be with us now in these next few moments and teach us and open our hearts to you. In your name we pray, amen. The first thing that we see is live in harmony with one another. And we recognize in those moments when we are living in harmony with one another how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity, right? We recognize deeply when those, those rare moments of peace hit us through every level, how good and pleasant it is. Then he continues, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And where I want to spend a few moments this morning is never be wise in your own sight. So you see, number one, never be wise in your own sight. As we live in harmony and we are not haughty and we associate with the lowly, we're going to do that as we are not wise in our own sight. 
as we have looked at our scripture memory verse this month, the first words that we say are, if any of you lack wisdom. At the beginning of us looking for wisdom and seeking after wisdom is the recognition that we desperately need wisdom. I don't think any of us would maybe walk in and say, yeah, I'm wise, I've got it all together, I've got all my issues figured out, and I am wise in my own sight, I am the wisest person here, I don't need any more wisdom, I don't need any more wisdom in my life, and any, I doubt very highly that any of us would openly say, hey, we've got the wisdom thing figured out, we're, we're maxing out our wisdom pool, we need no more of it. Uh, of course, none of us would live like that and say that we are wise as can be and we would need no more wisdom. But at the same time, we see scripturally what it looks like for God's people to chase after and seek after wisdom. The the Bible tells us that we would seek after wisdom more than precious gemstones and more than anything uh, money or nice things that we would chase after, that we would run after, and we would seek after wisdom more than anything else. Uh, I've recently found a new way to keep our kids entertained in our house, and it comes by uh, a form of um, an air tag. I don't know if any of y'all have one of these little air tags, but I keep them on my keys so that I don't lose my keys. Um, and it's this really sweet little disc here that uh, I attach to this stuff, and um, if it gets lost uh, on my phone, I can just uh, pull it up, and it'll have a little arrow that goes exactly to this little air tag. And, and I found that more than finding my keys, it's wonderful to hide around the house and give the kids the phone and say, go find it. It'll keep them busy for hours upon hours because I can hide this little thing really good. And they pull up the phone and it's got a little arrow and it kind of takes them to the general vicinity of where this thing is. And it plays a little noise when they get close. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> but at the same time, my kids think this little disc is a precious precious prize. I mean, you you should see them tearing through the house trying to find where I've hidden this thing. And and they will not stop for for hours to find this little air tag hidden in our house, putting it under the couch cushion. And they are ripping the place apart trying to find this air tag so they can find it and be like, we found it, we found it. Daddy, hide it again. And going all throughout the house, tearing everything up to find this, this little cheap little piece of plastic and metal. I mean, they are ripping our house up because they know that this is a great prize to find. Now, I want to ask you today, if I were to hide precious, precious gems and diamonds in your house, what would your response be today? You'd probably get on out of here and go on home, right? Now, there's a rumor in our previous house that the the previous owners had, um, several owners ago, had uh, at some level hidden some money in the house. And when they left, they forgot to get it. And then they had since passed away. And so there was apparently money hidden in our house. And this was the rumor. And you better believe when I would go up to the attic, uh, there may have been some times where money got a little tight that I'm I'm pulling up the uh, fiberglass and I'm looking for things. And, you know, as we had some plumbing work done, I did remind the plumber, hey, if you find anything suspicious, would you just, would you call me and let me know? Right, because there was a rumor floating around that there was money in our house. Now, if I found out that there was indeed really money in our house, that there was precious gems in our house, do you know that I would probably tear our house apart looking for that money? If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that somebody had hidden a briefcase full of a million dollars in your households, would you stop at anything to make sure you found that briefcase? Or would you very laissez-faire just say, "Eh, maybe one day we'll find that briefcase? 
maybe, maybe it's hidden somewhere. And, oh, won't that be a nice gift for somebody down the road if they buy our house? They can find the money. What, what would you do? Would you tear that place up looking for it? Would you call out people to, to come and help you seek after your house to find that money? Friends, in the same way, the Bible speaks to how we chase after wisdom. Not with a, ah, maybe I'll find after it one day. Maybe, you know, when I come to a really hardship in my life, I'll really seek after wisdom. Or do we recognize the great value of what is hidden in the good things of God? That he tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, go after it. Seek after it. Look for it. Find it. Because I am willing to give it to you generously without finding fault in you thinking, hey, maybe this guy deserves it. Maybe she doesn't deserve it. No, he is willing to lavish it on us. But I think at times we kind of feel like I've got enough. I've got enough to make it through today. I've got enough to be a, a, a decent enough father, a decent enough husband. Oh, I've been making it in business pretty good. I don't know that I need more. I, I think I'm doing okay. I think at some level, it's not that we are uh, so wise in our own sight. I think at some level, we just think that we have enough of it already. That we're enough in our own cunning and our own wisdom and our own might, our own intellect, that we don't really need more of it. But you see, right from the beginning of our scripture memory verse, if any of you lack wisdom, and can I tell you with a very covering blanket statement in this room, all of us lack the wisdom that we need. All of us. Can I tell you personally how this fleshes out for me? I lack on a daily basis the wisdom that I need to be the best husband that I can be to Brittany. And so the posture that I need to take daily is to say, Lord, when I wake up, I want to be the best husband that I can possibly be. And I recognize that there are gonna be things that I come to today that I'm gonna need, Lord, your wisdom to help me and to lead me and to train me. So Lord, I am begging for your wisdom so that I can be a better husband to my wife. And then I wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I recognize that I'm going to come to things with my kids that I am yet unaware of and that I am not prepared for and that I am lacking in wisdom. So, Lord, I am not wise in my own sight. I desperately am calling upon your wisdom in my life. Flesh that out over every area of your life and ask yourself, do you need wisdom? And the answer is yes, you do. Friends, when the Bible says, never be wise in your own sight, you are constantly in pursuit of God's wisdom over you. As you lead in different areas that the Lord has blessed you to be a part of, you are begging, petitioning, Lord, I need your wisdom. Would you fill me with your wisdom? You never lose that drive and that passion. Lord, I am begging for your wisdom to lead me and to teach me. Would you fill me up today? And we get to a dangerous place in our lives when we get arrogant in our knowledge, arrogant in our wisdom, arrogant in our love. We've gone back several times to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. Love is not arrogant. See over and over how these interplay into one another that we are never wise in our own sight. One of the biggest barriers to all God wants to do in and through us in the unity that he wants to use us in is pride. See, friends, number one, never be wise in your own sight. 
And then let's move to verse 17. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. For a moment, I want you to take repay no evil for evil and set that aside just for a moment. And let's look at number two, to give thought to what is honorable. Now, I think that Paul is beautiful here because he gives us a give thought to what is honorable. In many ways, he's telling us to premeditate our honor. In the same way we talked about it in Romans chapter 12 earlier, to give thought to, to premeditate what is honorable to other people, to think through, to stop, to pause, and to give thought to what is the honorable recourse in this situation. Many years ago, there was a a man by the name of Daniel who walked into a, a bank in Pennsylvania to open up a brand new bank account. Now, Daniel brought with him two forms of identification, and he began to fill out the forms to uh, fill out and to open a new bank account at this bank. And as Daniel was uh, giving his information to the teller, and she was making copies of uh, his information, Daniel was writing in his basic information, his name, his address, his phone number, uh, and giving his credentials to the bank. Now, the teller reported that at some point, Daniel got a little flustered. And as he's giving this information, Daniel all of a sudden said, I have made a mistake. And he pulled out a gun and held it to the teller and said, give me all your money. And Daniel took this $900, fled home, believing that he had pulled off the perfect crime. It was a few minutes later that the police pulled up to Daniel's house and picked him up. Now, Daniel did not premeditate this crime, would you say? Daniel had given them his, and this is a true story, sadly. Daniel had given them two forms of identification. He had written down his name, address, phone number on these forms and had then decided after all of this to rob the bank. I'm not teaching you how to rob a bank, but I'm telling you, that's not how you do it. (laughs) Now, that was not premeditated. And if you look at the words premeditated in the sense of a negative connotation, premeditated murder, premeditated all these things, it's, it's got a very negative connotation. But in this sense, when you look at give thought to what is honorable, in the sense Paul is talking about premeditating what is honorable. For many of us, when we talk about, look at what it comes after, repay no one evil for evil. So often, when somebody does us wrong, or when we are in a situation in which we have been wrong, our gut response is to return evil for evil. Someone speaks words ill to us, we speak words ill back. Someone cuts us off, we figure out how to get next to them in traffic and cut them right back off and give them the stare of death, right? We return evil for evil. But what you see Paul saying is not return evil for evil, but to give thought to what is honorable. Recognize what Paul is saying, to pause, to stop, and to think about what is honorable in the sight of everybody. In the midst of a moment that you may want to lash out and respond illy, Paul is telling us to stop, drop, and roll, in essence, and to think through what is honorable in this situation. And for many of us, that means that maybe we need to pull back for a second and think, Lord, would you slow me down? In this moment, I am ready to lash out and I am ready to say words that I can't take back. Lord, I am angry and I am frustrated. But here you see Paul tell us, give thought. This is what, in essence, we teach our kids. Back in grade school, as Micah's playing t-ball and Helen Ann's starting to play uh, soccer, you say when they get up, when they get frustrated, you say, count to 10. 
right? You tell your kids that, count to 10. Sometimes count to 20, sometimes count to 30. Maybe you need to take out and count to 100, right? You, you tell them to take a time out. And here Paul is telling us as believers, take a time out and think through what you're about to do. And not just think through it, but think through what is the honorable response in this situation. Friends, this is not, this is not an easy turn of phrase. Paul is telling us, don't, don't return evil for evil, but give thought to, think through. What is the honorable response? How does this honor that this person is made in the image of God? Because you recognize that all are watching. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all people. So we would premeditate our care and our compassion and our honor. If we continue on, again, you see verse 18, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to doing what is honorable in the sight of all. And then this great caveat that we've got from Paul. We don't often get caveats in Paul's writing. Right? Remember, pray always, rejoice always, don't be anxious about anything. And we've looked sometimes for some caveats in Paul's writing, and here he gives us one. In verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So let's look at number three. If possible, and as far as it depends on you. Paul has given us a really beautiful caveat. And so let's unpack it for a moment. Number one, if possible. The implication in this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The implication there is there are times, places, and people which no matter how well you love and care for them, will not reciprocate. We get that. That there are times and places and people that no matter how well you love them and, and care for them, they will not reciprocate to you. It also means that if possible, there are situations in which you will not be able to bring peace and resolution to. There are also relationships that no matter how hard you try and you are a peacemaker and that you come in with care and love and compassion, you will not be able to bring resolution to. And so here Paul say, if possible, that gives us this giant caveat that there are situations, there are people, there are circumstances that you will, no matter how hard you try, ever be able to bring resolution and peace to. Before we continue, I just want to say that, that I know, because I have read your prayer cards, that there are some in this room who have family members that you have been praying for for years upon years upon years to bring peace and to bring harmony between your family. There are some of you who have been in business dealings that there is no peace, that there is just frustration and tension and anger between you two. And you have tried everything under the sun to bring peace and it's just not come tell you from scripture this morning, it's, it's okay to take the weight and the burden off of your shoulders because there is, because of sin, people who will wander off and that will not be able to bring peace and resolution to. And so this morning, maybe you need to release the burden off of your shoulders that you have tried, you have strived, you have done everything you can do, and instead of beating yourself up about it, thinking that you have done something wrong in the situation. Friends, sometimes because of sin, there will not be resolution. 
But let me follow that up for a moment before we just say, this is awesome. I don't have to be at peace with anybody. Paul gives a caveat, but he does tell us an extremely important word. If possible, as far as it depends on you. And I would venture that there are many of us in this room who, yes, have relationships that are strived, that are strained, and they are hurting, familial relationships that are deeply hurting. And there are many of those relationships that you have done everything in your power to make right. But can I also lovingly remind you there are also other relationships in which you have not done everything in your power to be at peace. That for many years and in many ways you have pointed the finger at other people saying if they would just, if they would just, if they would just, if they would just, if they could just, if they would just, if they would just, they, I would take them back. Instead of recognizing what part or what role we have played in the disharmony of relationships. And so when Paul says, if possible, recognize that he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, meaning that in Christ you do everything possible with integrity, with grace, with compassion, with love, with kindness. You do everything in your power and in your strength to bring resolution, to bring harmony to relationships. Blessed are the peacemakers, meaning we run to bring peace to disharmonious relationships. And so friends, yes, Paul gives us a caveat. But that caveat comes with a real responsibility for us to be the people who do everything in our power. We don't cheat. We don't lie. We don't steal. We're not greedy. We're not full of disintegrity. That we bring integrity as much as it depends on you. We've all heard the adage, it takes two to tango. And some of us are sitting on the sidelines not willing to tango willing to let there be disharmony and just point the finger at somebody else because it's far easier to blame the other person than to look in the mirror and say, Lord, what am I doing that's causing this disharmony? So friends, if possible, and as far as it depends on you, let those words ring in your heart, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. In our last few moments, we also recognize number four, to overcome evil with good. We do all this recognizing that we overcome evil with good. Look at what Paul has written. Repay no evil for evil. Recognize, we, we never take evil situations and say, I'm gonna return the favor of evil by being evil. Return no evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. Never overcome, never be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I, I know that there's a stirring in your soul to say this is such an oversimplification of a hard issue. But this is straight scripture. Scripture is no, never oversimplified. Scripture is scripture. And so in the moments where we want to face and give evil to people who have been evil to us, recognize what Jesus is telling us, to turn the other cheek when we've been slapped, to give a tunic in response to our enemy, to give a cup of cold water to our enemy who is thirsty. So can we defeat evil with more evil? Well, we've seen what is our calling to abhor evil. 
You see, the mark of the believer is to abhor, to hate, to abstain, to run away from evil. So why would we as Christians use evil to get across and to benefit us? Vengeance and revenge is not ours. Vengeance and revenge is not on the tongue of the believer. And you may feel every part of you wanting revenge and wanting vengeance. And you may feel the gritting of your teeth against another brother or sister. Friends, read, pause, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all people. Your last blank tells the story that a heart changed by Jesus loves like Jesus. And friends, this sums up all that we've talked about. I, I know that we've, we've looked at what it means to have a genuine and sincere heart, that we've looked at not repaying evil for evil and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And all of this flows from a heart that has been changed by Jesus. And so if our response is when evil comes our way to, to lash out in evil, if our response is to hate those who persecute us and not bless them, We've talked about that, how we treat and how we relate to other people at times is a beautiful picture into our heart and how we have been marked and changed by the gospel. Friends, a heart changed by Jesus will love and care like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that we would run and we would seek after your wisdom. Lord, we desperately need your wisdom in every area and aspect of our lives. Lord, would you bestow it upon me? Would you bestow it upon this faith family? Would we be wise and do what is wise in the sight of all? That we would give thought to what is honorable. That we would care deeply for others on our pathway. We recognize that in our flesh, this doesn't make sense. But Lord, you have called us to set an example. Lord, out of the overflow of our heart, would we live. Thank you that you continue to show us and teach us where we fall short, you pick us up. That there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that incredible, magnificent truth that we never grow tired of. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.